This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the first Sunday of April. It's April 5th, 2015. Also happens to be Easter Sunday and uh, wrap-up of... Um, Passover, so we wish you all a happy Passover and happy Easter. I'm Tom Dioria. Uh, I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated, and we're on at 6 p.m. in the New York listing area and 3 p.m. in Arizona, and we're live from our New York offices, and we're going to be discussing an interesting topic, data breaches and cyber liability insurance. But you haven't heard about that. Our guest, Mike uh, Mikkel, will be with us uh, after our first segment. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, TechTalk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with the increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry rider, Report, which will contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests follows this from many aspects of business and industry. And if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk. That's T E C H T A L K at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send us an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send us email questions at that email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. And for those of you that want to listen to us live but can't get to your radio, we're being simulcast on the web, so you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. Uh, we're broadcast live on that every week. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are archived. You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on ahead as quickly as possible. First segment's all we can review is the increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world, compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan Dioria, and Jose Batista. Okay, we've got a lot of stuff to uh, cover you with today. Uh, Cranes tells us that the city's powerful hotel union join affordable housing advocates to push back against Airbnb. Their group, Share Better, and the popular home sharing service have since spent millions of dollars to influence political and public opinion. Both sides point to victories, but the broader outcome has been a stalemate and not much harm to Airbnb's bottom line. Share Better argues it has beat the San Francisco-based company in their New York battle, pointing to Airbnb's failure to change a 2010 state law prohibiting tenants in properties three or more units from renting out their space for periods shorter than 30 days. Airbnb has paid New York lobbying from Bolton Street 
Street Johns, $431,000 and sunk tens of millions of dollars into public relations and advertising. Yet lawmakers haven't budged and regular regulators are starting to crack down on illegal rentals. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where that's going, but... Uh, We'll keep an eye on it and let you know if there are any really significant things. Okay. Today, money tells us that Alibaba may be about to do, take the concept of dining out on your face to a whole new level. Users of the e-commerce giant's mobile payment system could soon be able to pay by scanning their face with a smartphone after Alibaba's boss teased the new technology. The service called Smile to Pay is currently in beta mode, but was shown off in Alibaba's CEO, Jack Ma, during the keynote speech at the CBIT Tech Trade Fair. Alibaba affiliate Ant Financial is developing the technology for the use with the company's Alipay online payment service and Alipay Wallet, a similar service to Apple Pay. Online payments are always a big headache. You forget your password. You worry about security. Uh, so the Alibaba boss went on to say that he has found an old stamp from Hanover on Alibaba.com, company's e-commerce platform. Ma pulled out the phone, scanned his face, and the front camera and said that the item had been purchased and was on um, way to the mayor's Hanover's office. The annual transaction value of online and mobile payments will hit $4.7 trillion by 2019, up from $2.5 trillion last year. Okay, so that's interesting. We'll see where that goes. We've also got something here, uh, slightly technological, but uh, we want to let, since we do a lot of work with public safety in New York, Forbes magazine has ranked the fire department of the city of New York as its number one government employer in the country. The FDNY ranks 17th overall in Forbes' list of America's best employers, reports uh, CBS New York. Fire Commissioner Daniel Nigro said he was happy but not surprised. One of the reasons why he came back to the fire department for a very happy retirement was that it's a great place to work. So... Uh, Certainly not an easy job, and we know it's a dangerous job, but it's very fulfilling. You get a chance to make a difference every day, and our people know it. That's a quote from the fire commissioner. Okay. And now we have the world's first virtual shopping center opening in Korea. All the products are just LCD screens that allow you to order the items by touching the screen. When you get to the counter, your items are already bagged and ready to go. Cell phone you can bend as much as you like, and it will still do sm everything a smartphone does. Your uh, personal computer ring can play music, check your email, give you alerts, and even allows you to browse and chat with others. Let's see, what else here? Um, ability of this prosthetic eye, which is a camera that that installed in it. And no longer using a camping stove just for cooking. A new line of camping stoves uses heat energy to power up lights, charge your phone, and anything else you can charge by USB cable. Okay, those are some interesting things from the Korean show. 
Jay-Z, the rap star, uh, announced um, the New York Times his plans for a title, a subscription streaming service he recently bought for $56 million. And that's interesting because facing the competition of some Spotify, Google, and other companies that will soon include Apple, Tidal will fashion as a home for high-fidelity audio and exclusive content. But perhaps the most notable part of Jay-Z's strategy is that a majority of the company will be owned by artists, who may bring financial benefits for those involved, but also is powerfully symbolic in a business where musicians have seldom had direct control over how their work is consumed. The plan was unveiled at a brief but highly choreographed news conference in Manhattan, where Jay-Z stood alongside more than a dozen musicians identified as titles owners. They included some of the most prolific artists today. Okay, so keep an eye out for a title. And uh, finally, IBM is going to invest $3 billion in the Internet of Things unit. Harold tells us that IBM uh, division... Uh, aimed at harnessing the massive trove of data collected by smartphones, tablets, connected vehicles, and appliances, and using it to help companies better manage their businesses. IBM estimates that 90% of all data generated by mobile and smart devices is never analyzed. The Armok New York company hopes to change this by teaming up with companies like Twitter and developing cloud-based data services and tools for app developers. IBM is training more than 2,000 consultants, researchers, and developers to help businesses come up with new ways to use the vast amounts of data that are now available. The new business unit is part of IBM's shift away from hardware towards spending billions to focus on analytics, cloud computing, mobile services, and security. Okay, we're going to take a break. Um, we're going to come back on this Easter Sunday and talk to Mike Meikle about rises of data breaches and effectiveness of cyber liability insurance. I'm Tom Dioria. This is IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's April 5th, 2015, Easter Sunday. And as I mentioned to you before the break, our guest Mike Nico is uh, going to talk to us today about the rise of data breaches and the effectiveness of cyber liability insurance. Hmm. Um, Mike is a consulting veteran who navigates the turbulent and murky world of management and information technology consulting, as you can tell by the title of the show. As an entrepreneur who has run two consulting firms, Corporate Consigliere, Mike Meikle provides strategic, technological, and management solutions for his clients. Mike has over 15 years of experience within the public and private sector across multiple industries. Mike has uh, significant education and practical experience in strategic planning, risk, security, compliance, and operations methodologies. Certifications Mike holds includes Certified Project Management Professional, PMP, Certified Information System Security Professional, CIC, 
SSP, and Sig Sigma Greenbelt, and a host of others. Mike can also be reached via his website at Mike, and I'll spell it for you. It's M-I-K-E-M-E-I-K-L-E dot com. Mike, thanks a lot for taking the time to be with us uh, today. I really appreciate it. Same here, Tom. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on your show again. We're going to talk about data breaches and effectiveness of cyber liability. I guess the basic question is, is anybody's data which then leads you to their privacy secure anymore and with all these security breaches? I mean, it sounds like every time you open a paper, look at the web, or tune to TV, something's going on. Yeah, especially over the last year, it seems like uh, cybersecurity breaches are getting far more play than more previously. Of course, we've seen the Target breach and Neiman Marcus. And the usual financial and merchants, but also the biggest one we've seen recently is healthcare, which for the longest time has sort of avoided getting the uh, level of exposure when it comes to you know data breaches that the financial industry has been experiencing. But healthcare is a much softer target, and the malicious actors slash hackers slash nation state folks are kind of glomming onto the fact that healthcare doesn't have as much protection as it should. And so they're targeting healthcare now. And now, of course, you see Anthem with its 80 million patient records that were breached, and then Primera, which is another healthcare company with only 11, <laughs> only 11 million uh, records breached. So, yeah, it, the question, like you asked, is anybody's privacy and security, is, is it there? And the answer is it's kind of a tenuous situation because, you know, we use a lot of technology in our day-to-day lives, interaction, and the security still for a lot of these platforms is pretty immature. So that's a, a scary thought. I mean, I gather these big companies have IT security groups of hopefully a, a significant size. The question, I guess, is are the tools there um, for them to protect themselves and thereby protect us? I mean... It seems that it takes them a, a significant period of time to react to these things. And I guess I have two questions for you. One is, does it really take them that much time, or are they, I don't want to say covering up, but are, are they uh, letting us know as far after the fact as possible so they have a chance to react? I remember back in the punch card days when banks used to get breached all the time, which you never really heard of because they didn't want to let their customers know that that, that was going on. I mean, is, is that the case here, or does it just really take a long time to figure this out? I think it's a combination of factors. Uh, the biggest concern, you talked about, does it really take this long to know, like say months or a year passes to know that, hey, we've been breached? Sometimes, yes. Uh if you take a look at the the Sony situation, they were breached in 2012, pretty substantially, about 20 separate instances, you know, and they didn't, they went ahead and retooled their security department, they hired the right people and whatnot, and they were still breached again last year uh, during the, uh, the movie The Interview with the North Koreans supposedly hacking them and insider hackers and all the rest of it. It's... It, you have all these systems, but somebody has to be there monitoring them, and then someone has to realize what they are seeing is malicious. So that can be a tall order. And usually, 
Security, depending on the industry, only is about 2 to 4% of the general IT budget they use internally. So it's not particularly well invested. It just depends on the, the industry you're in. So there is a, some of this, hey, we haven't seen this, and we didn't notice it until too late. You've mentioned a whole bunch of com- companies that uh, uh, hopefully most of our listeners are aware of have been hacked, like Target and, and the case. Yeah. Home okay, Depot. so they've been hacked. What's the end, the end product here? All those people uh, having their identities stolen, people assuming them, are their bank accounts all being taken away? Um, you haven't really heard what the follow-up to this is in terms of the bad guys. And this, I do uh, quite a bit of forensics uh, on the security side. But what usually happens if it's pretty, like, say your credit card is, uh, information is taken. Well, that's pretty low value. It's like a buck a, rec- like a, buck a number on the various black market sites. Uh, if you are, say, in healthcare and you have a healthcare record breach, their records go for 50 to $90. So you can see the value there because with a credit card number, you can do some fraudulent charges and the credit card company is going to shut you down. With, say, a fraudulent uh, health care record, you can assume multiple identities of people. You can do Medicare, Medicaid fraud. Uh, you can write yourself prescriptions. You can do identity. You could basically assume another identity with all the information that's contained in there. So, and also, I'm, I'm sure that uh, listeners are aware that there's been a huge uptick in tax fraud where uh, various uh, malicious actors, hackers, are taking advantage of e-filing and stealing tax information to get fraudulent tax returns. So, of course, we, we've heard that the IRS um, security is less than optimal in the news recently. So it's, you, see the, you see the impact on consumers in a variety of different ways. If your credit card's stolen, well, okay, get a new card, and they, they block some fraudulent transactions. They steal your medical record. You may not know for a while, and all of a sudden hey, I didn't have this prescription, and who is this person on my insurance? And it just takes a much longer time, but it's much more dangerous. You've done forensics. Are there single techniques, evolving techniques that the hackers are using to do these compromises of people's systems and records? I mean, is is it a constantly evolving bad guy technology? You can use the Pareto principle here. 80% of, how, of breaches are done in the most simple fashion. Probably less than 20% have those advanced, persistent threat, zero-day exploit with a dedicated team of hackers overseas trying to get into your system. The other, like I said, the 80% is you answered a phishing email, a bogus email with a link or an attachment, and you've clicked on it, and they found a way to compromise your security on your endpoint machine. Or they've just called you up and asked for your information, pretending to be somebody else. So this is something, I, when I do a lot of security education at the, uh, the corporate re- uh, level, I talk about, yes, technology is a great way to help protect, but the kind of the biggest vulnerability is the, is the person behind, the, you know, sitting in front of the screen or by their phone. And social engineering, you know, basically the concept of appearing as someone who you are not with certain levels of authority is far and away the easiest way that hackers and phishing 
that hackers use to compromise systems and people. It's not anything really fantastic about it or technological wizardry. It's just duping the other person to giving them access that they shouldn't have. Okay, we'll pursue this a little bit more when we come back from the break. This is Tom DiOrio. We're an IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Easter Sunday, April 5th, 2015. We're talking uh, with Mike Meekle about the rise of data breaches and effectiveness of cyber liability insurance, which we'll get to later in the show. Please stay tuned. This is the half-hour national news break. Uh, we'll be right back after that. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's April 5th, 2015. And we're talking to Mike Beagle about the rise of data breaches and effectiveness of cyber liability insurance. And uh, before the break, um, we're discussing uh, what hackers do to get in. And sometimes it's simple and sometimes it's uh, not so simple. Um, maybe you can just... Um, I mean, it's obvious, and we repeat it many times on different shows on different topics. But for the the simple and the, the fishing type examples, what do you what do you tell our listeners to at least not fall for those things? I, I, when I do my courses, I try to I try to give this example. So you're walking down the street, and someone comes up to you and asks for your wallet. What do you do? <laughs> Usually you say no, unless they're sticking a gun on your face. It's the same thing with being online. If you get an email from somebody you don't know asking for sensitive information, say your social security number, your credit card number, uh, date of birth, home address, etc., an email from somebody you don't know who's asking you for pieces of information that are sensitive, don't answer those questions. Don't answer the email. Also... Be cautious about opening up email from people you don't know. It's the same thing. If someone comes to your front door and knocks on it and you don't know who they are, you are cautious. It's the same way about opening email. These phishing, which is, you know, bogus emails, is one of the easiest ways to compromise your system. Also, don't open up attachments. Hey, cute cat video, click on this. This goes for Facebook, goes for any sort of social media where you see this link even on your mobile devices. They can be compromised in, in much the same way, even Apple devices. So be very cautious about what links you click on, what files you access, who you'd respond to in email. And like we mentioned about social engineering, if someone calls you up and says, I'm from the IRS and you're delinquent on your taxes and you need to pay me now and send me your credit card information, don't you have to question. You have to it requests something in writing, et cetera. Don't take people at their word. It's just being cautious. Uh, sound advice. What about businesses? What can they do to better protect themselves? I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the, in the first segment, but uh, what, are, what are your recommendations? Well, when I, when I do training for businesses on the security side, one I recommend heavily is that they train their employees for something we just talked about in regards to being cautious online, being cautious with your data. That's the biggest, that's one of the biggest wins and the cheapest wins that a business can do. Just train your users. Another one is kind of stick with the basics. You don't have to go out and buy millions of dollars in security hardware 
to start a security program. But some of the things you can do that cost much less money is patch your software, your operating systems, your server software, your enterprise applications regularly, and all the, the various attending applications and middleware that support your, your architecture. Patch them and be religious about it. Another is make sure you have physical security around your servers and building and that, that sensitive data is locked away physically as well. And another one is standard old antivirus, anti-malware protection on your desktops, laptops, and phones, and encryption. Very cheap insurance against breaches. And that also monitor your systems. Have people who can look at the data and make sure that it's not being compromised. Look, you have to have people to look at whatever monitoring tools you have in place and interpret the data. Or you could have all the systems in the world and you're not going to catch a thief breaking in, which was the exa- what happened with Target. Now, Mike, um, I think you touched on this a little bit before, but what's holding up uh, companies doing this type of stuff and being a little smarter and, and protecting themselves? Is it the lack of staff, the lack of tools? I think it's a combination of what you just said, lack of staff and tools, but also it's, it really hasn't been on the radar outside of the financial industry for for about you know, 20 years ago, really, it was finance that was impacted, and you touched on that, too. But now, other industries, because they're so technology-dependent, so data-driven, they're now a target, and it's a cultural change. The, at the executive and board level, security is kind of an afterthought in many ways, and that is sort of a technology issue, and the CIO will handle it, and that's pretty much all you hear. Uh, it, and also, up until very recently, executive and board members were never really impacted, even by the largest breaches. Uh, some of the most recent ones, you actually see the board and the CEO being held responsible for this incident. So that is going to change the culture. And historically, like, like I mentioned, security is sort of... Uh, looked upon as even less favorably than the technology as a whole in the, in the company. So a lot less expenditures on personnel and tools and training. So that's changing slowly, but it's going to be a cultural change, and it's going to have to be driven from the executive level on down. Now, the healthcare industry uh, for a number of years now has had legislation that requires them uh, Although it may not be effective um, to to protect um, the data that, that they collect, is there anything like that that exists for non-healthcare uh, private sector? Right, you know, you're referring to the HIPAA uh, legislation as well as high tech for healthcare. But yes, in the financial side, especially if you do credit card transactions. There's PCI, payment card industry, data security standards, DSS, and of course, you know, finance is heavily regulated, so you have Sarbanes-Oxley and Graham Leach-Bliley and Dodd-Frank that all impact how data is used, who's responsible for it, et cetera. And, uh, you know, education has FERPA, and there's the utility uh, guidelines, which off the top of my head I can't remember at the moment, but there are, each industry normally has this is your guidelines in regards to your privacy and security regulations. And there's also state uh, privacy and security regulations. I know Virginia just passed the digital um, identity 
Act here, and also they have steeper privacy and security requirements for healthcare. So if your industry doesn't have something specific, then you can imagine that your state does. Can you tell us, uh, we've got about two minutes left in this segment, just give us a, uh, an overview of what cyber liability insurance is, and then the, the next segment we can get into it in a little bit more detail. Sure. Cyber liability insurance is sort of a new beast. Uh, it's come along as a sometimes as an add-on to your uh, corporate general liability policy, your, your uh, GCLs, where usually GCLs would protect your uh, your company from you know lawsuits in regards. To if you made a mistake, your GCL policy is going to cover that for you. Cyber liability incidents, unfortunately. Um, are not covered many times by the general liability policy of a corporation. So the cyber liability insurance has kind of sprung into this into being to cover you know data breach costs, credit monitoring costs, etc. It's uh, it, up until very recently, it's been sort of an afterthought that hasn't really been bought into, and the premiums are very low. But now we're starting to see companies access these policies, and it's and the ground sort of shifting on it. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about uh, cyber liability insurance. I'm Tom DiOria. This is IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. We're talking to Mike Miko about uh, uh, data breaches, and uh, we're going to start to get into cyber, li- cyber liability insurance in the next segment. So please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on Sunday, Easter Sunday, April 5th, 2015. Um, we're talking to Mike Meikle about the rise of data breaches and effectiveness of cyber liability insurance here on KFNX AM 1100. And before the break, Mike was telling us about uh, cyber liability insurance. And uh, you mentioned that it's... Uh, uh, relatively newly focused uh, by by companies, and uh, you were also mentioning that uh, businesses' general liability doesn't necessarily cover that. Have these companies we've been discussing throughout who got hit, the you know the bigger hits, have they been found liable for all of this? Or in the case of somebody's credit card getting stolen, does it still fall on the credit card company? Or does it fall on the company who it was stolen from? It, uh, like you mentioned the credit card. We talked about PCI, DSS in the last segment. Uh, those standards, PCI standards, are very explicit as to what type of security you, you should have. And if you, as, say, a vendor, do not have those in place and you accept credit cards and you do have a breach, then the payment card industry folks can uh, levy a fine on you and if you are egregious enough, they can give you basically the black spot where you can't accept credit cards anymore. And because historically, the payment processors or, or the credit card companies would be, would be liable for uh, financial loss based on stolen credit card numbers, which is why they put PCI in place. Um, also, on the side of liber, cyber liability side, 
just very recently, the last Sony breach, they tried to claim uh, some of their losses against their cyber liability policy and were denied because they didn't have the appropriate controls in place. And so they're now going to be fiduciarily responsible for, I'm sure, at least $10 million worth of fines and data, and also customer record breach uh, costs, credit monitoring, that should have, that could have been covered under the cyber liability policy, but their company pushed back and said, no, you guys are not responsible with your security controls, therefore we're not going to pay, which is very new. That, that development is a very new development. So are these cases going to court or are they being settled, you know, by the Justice Department? Um, what's the... The They're drive? going to court, Tom. A lot of these, especially on the healthcare side, uh, when companies have experienced a breach and they go to claim it uh, against their policy, we are seeing an increased uh, propensity to go to court because there's a still a lot of gray area in regards to did you testify appropriately when you filled out your cyber liability you know, cyber liability policy application that you did have all these security and privacy controls in place. A lot of people fib. And so the insurance company is going to go, you said you had this particular controls in place, but you didn't. So we're not paying. And so, of course, you get a, a court case out of that. So it's, it's company-to-company court case. What about the poor guy who was the target of the breach? Um, do they have any recourse here? I mean... I guess well, I mean, you can always cancel the credit card, and you don't owe anything. What about your health records getting stolen? This—that's another. That's where the Fed step in, and that's particularly ugly. Uh, it's a federal issue. Once you're, you have a medical record breach, you have to report it to the Office of Civil Rights under Health and Human Services, no matter the size. Usually, it's over 500 records, but that's changed with the HIPAA uh, final rule. So you can. The federal government sort of picks up the slack there, but if you are if you are a victim of identity theft when it comes to medical records, you have a long row to hoe when it comes to trying to reconstruct your digital identity. And uh, the company that was responsible for your records is supposed to be there to help you recover your identity. Uh, how effective they've been, it's been very muted. A lot, like you mentioned before, a lot of companies try to try to keep news of how difficult it is to kind of recoup your digital identity under wraps because it looks pretty bad. Yeah, that's interesting and unfortunate. Before I, I get to my next question, my producer's yelling at me because I didn't uh, ask you. Um, if our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, you can easily get in contact with me via my website, which is www.mike. M-E-I-K-L-E dot com. That's MikeMeekle.com. Just do a quick Google search, and you can contact me directly through there. Okay. Um, I, th- I think we, we uh, touched on this, but for our listeners um, who may now be concerned about this a little bit more than they were before they listened to the show, uh, and may be thinking about cyber liability insurance, are there any specific industries that uh, they may be in, which would warrant them to take a more serious look at this? If I was in the healthcare field, uh, I would definitely jump on the cyber liability bandwagon right now. The, the premiums are very low compared to, say, 
general liability insurance. And uh, they, if you kind of think about it this way, if you have to pay uh, basically, say, a buck for every person that, say, you're a medium-sized hospital with, you know, maybe over the years 100,000 patients, if you have to pay a dollar for every one of those and then pay for credit monitoring for every one of those people, if you had a breach of 100,000 uh, 100, uh, patients, your policy, if you've applied for it appropriately, can easily pay for that. And if you didn't have insurance to cover that, it could easily break the organization. So I think it's a very good ROI based on maybe two or $3,000 or up to $10,000 a year premiums for uh, if you had a breach, you're looking anywhere from you know 250k up to a million dollars for a medium-sized organization. The cost. So, I I would in healthcare, I would definitely choose. If you're in financial industry, that's something you should have. You know, it goes with your you know errors and emissions insurance. You just just have it. Um, for other other organizations where you don't have a lot of consumer data. You really need to do a, an ROI, return on investment calculation, and see how it how it meets up with your needs. Maybe you maybe not need it, but if you're storing a lot of critical data that's attached to customers, clients, then I would I would suggest you get it. Okay, so that's a that's a, a good thing for for people to look at. Um, are there any other things that that uh, if I'm considering it for my business, uh, is there like a uh, a checklist or something that, you know, if I have so many of column A and so many of column B, I really need it, um, you know, or I'm on the edge or you should take well, your chances type of type of consideration. Is there is there any formula or are you really trying to be as conservative as possible here? The thing is, I think, is if you look at your business, are you storing data about your customers that could be used maliciously. Do you have a lot of customer lists with social security numbers? Do you have credit card numbers? Do you have patient data? Do you like a large like a large financial practice or a large accountancy practice? You may have tens of thousands of records. Then that makes sense. If you're a manufacturing firm with 50 employees and you don't have uh, customer data that's that sensitive, then maybe not. Or you may want to make sure that your intellectual property is protected. And cyber liability sometimes can cover the cost of fighting, you know, trademark and copyright infringement. If someone stole your work through a breach, the cyber liability policy could cover your legal cost in fighting the company that stole your data. But that's much more of a, a kind of a gray area in my in my mind. Uh, Mike, in the, do, in the minute we have left. Uh... Are there any pieces of uh, insurance policy that uh, we should keep an eye out for that may come back and bite us in the butt? Right. If you are, if you have a cyber liability policy and you've you've successfully, you know, uh, uh, subscribed to it, and you do have a breach, make sure before you actually get the policy that you are being truthful with your application. So if you say you have a disaster recovery plan, that you have antivirus, that you have firewalls, that you have security controls in place, make sure you actually have them because if you do have a breach and they come to audit you before they do a payout and you don't have those, you are now really run, running the risk of not getting the payout you need to protect yourself against kind of a ruinous financial consequences. 
insurance companies are checking up on this now, and you're seeing a lot of court cases in this area. So make sure you don't fib on your application. Great advice, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Next week, we're going to, again, be live from our New York offices. We're going to have our Week in Review. And I'm going to give you my uh, feedback from our visit uh, last week to the International Auto Show at the Javits Center. Uh, We saw uh, a whole bunch of high-tech vehicles, and uh, we picked three out to uh, focus on, so I think you're going to like that. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer. Matt Campagna's our executive producer. And without the help of Robert Bomback from the KFNX AM 1100 production department, you wouldn't have heard a word we said. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. And remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Happy Easter. I hope you all had a good Passover. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.